We're going to go to verse 1 through 3, but we're going to probably go refer back to that. Second Kings chapter five. And uh, if you're there or when you're there, say amen. <clears throat> amen. And the word of the Lord says, Now Naaman captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone by, out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Thank you, Father, for this good word today. Pray your ministry of your word upon your people that you would speak to them, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. And you can be seated. Amen. And uh, many of you probably already knew this story as I started to read it about Naaman. And uh, it's kind of important to note here in this message today that Naaman, it says here that he was a captain of the host of the king of Syria. That means that he was the, the host. A host is an army. So he was the captain of the army of Syria. And so he was the chief. He was the the commanding general, if you, will, if you will. And he was a great man with his master. And he was an honorable man. And he was a man that was even used by God. It says, by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. And he was a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Amen. And so he had a problem. Even though he was a leader, he had a bit of a problem. Now, if he'd have been in Israel, that leprosy would have kept him out of any kind of leadership position or anything like that. But because he wasn't, they, they kind of overlooked his skin condition, if you will. Amen. And uh, I can't remember what they call it, but there's a name today for leprosy. And it's actually something that can be rectified and healed with medication. God can heal leprosy. Amen. But it, uh, uh, it can be healed. And, but back in that day, they didn't know what it was. And, and so they, they feared it. And so when someone had leprosy, what did they do? They cast them out. And they, they, they put them in a leper's colony. And they thought it was contagious. And they were afraid to even touch a leper. But you can't get it that way. But we know that now, but they didn't know that then. And so today, uh, we're going to just kind of talk about uh, this little, kind of, I'm going to draw my message from verse 2 where it says that the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She was a little maid servant. Uh, Israel had been taken captive because they 
just continued to disobey God and to have idols and to do their own thing and to and to have their own way. They wanted to be in charge, and uh, they they felt like God had delivered them, and and so they could handle things. And if they let if God they needed God, they'd let Him know. And so God kept throughout the Old Testament. Israel gets in these places, and God warns them and sends prophets and people to tell them, you're not obeying me, you're not doing what I said that I needed you to do, and and if you don't stop it, I'm going to put you in bondage. And that's exactly what he did. And so, just imagine somebody coming and putting us all in jail because we're having church here. Amen. And Or imagine the Lord sending the police out to... To arrest all the backsliders because they won't serve God. That's kind of what happened. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about this subject. God has a reason. God has a reason. And the other title that I kind of thought about, but it seemed too long. It says, you never know why you are where you are. You never know why you are where you are. You never know why you're going through what you're going through. You never know what God is working in the background. And so this is the case, not only with Naaman, but with this little maid that had been taken captive. Now, I can imagine that, you know, there was people that God, in all this process of of trying to get a hold of Israel and say, "Hey, you got to stop doing this stuff. You got to stop serving these idols. You got to stop uh, worshiping these these trees and all this stuff." I'm sure. I'm quite sure there were people in Israel in that day that refused to do those things. That there was a, a remnant of people that said, "I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm going to trust God." I'm going to believe in the God that delivered my family generations ago. But I believe that even though those people felt that way, that God still sent them into bondage as well. And so it was the case of this young maid who had the privilege and the opportunity to be set into, into the family of Naaman, this high-ranking individual of the Syrian army. And do you think that was by accident? Not at all. God knew what he was doing. He didn't just put her there so he could write this story so we could say ooh and ah at this story later on down the road. But he had her there for a reason because he was going to orchestrate some things in the life of Naaman that was going to basically change the course of history in a lot of ways. But she had to be faithful first, and she had to understand, she had to go into her circumstances, and she was probably not a slave before. So here she is, she's going from the freedom of being in her own household to going into a situation where she's now the maidservant to the wife of the guy that's the highest ranking military individual in all of Syria under the king. And so I believe, it doesn't say this, but it implies it in, in how she handled herself in this situation. She probably decided, I'm, I'm in this situation and God's got me here and I don't know why, but I'm, I'm going to make the best of it. 
And I'm not going to just stop trusting God because I'm in a situation I don't like. <clears throat> and so she she went about this this whole circumstance that she was in as being this the, the maid to this wife, just like uh, many others in the Bible that got put in this situation. She made the best of a bad situation. And, and so she remembered the, about the prophet. And she remembered about the power of God. And she remembered about the healing that God could bring just by simply going and speaking to the prophet. And so she went to Naaman's wife and said, Hey, there's a prophet in Israel. I don't know, maybe if Naaman was there in front of him, who knows, God might heal him. She cared about her master and her her master's wife, and she cared. She decided, I'm going to care about this family, because they're souls too. And I don't understand why I am where I am, but I'm going to make the best of this, and I'm going to see if God can't bless. And I see my master with this leprosy, and I know I serve a God that can heal. And so she told her wife, his wife, and would that God, my Lord, were with the prophet in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. She had enough faith to even say that. If he were there, he would recover him of his leprosy. And so what happens is Naaman goes, he hears about this, and he goes to his king and says, hey, there's a guy in Israel that if I go see him, I can be healed of my leprosy. So what does the king do? He writes him a letter. Sends him with a letter and sends him with all this gold and all this silver and all these all this stuff. Like he's going to go pay the prophet. So what does Naaman do? He goes to the king of Israel and he says, hey, I got this letter and I got all this stuff. And I think Naaman didn't understand. If you read that scripture, it talks about how that he went to the king thinking the king of Israel was going to do this. And the king of Israel says, oh, oh, who do you think I am? I'm not God. I can't heal you. How, why are you coming to me? Well, Naaman heard about this, all this going on, and the, the king rent his clothes. And just he just couldn't believe that somebody would come to him for healing. And, and Naaman sent to the king said, Send him to me. I'll take care of it. Because they feared the prophets. The prophets in those days had great power with kings and with everybody. They feared because they knew those prophets could minister under the power and the anointing of God. And so he sends him. And so there's Naaman. He pulls up in the prophet's driveway with all the stuff. Wagons full of stuff thinking he's going to really impress this prophet. <clears throat> and, you know, Naaman, he kind of had a little bit of a problem. He was, uh, kind of had an entitlement mentality. Anybody ever heard of that? Kind of have a society today that has an entitlement mentality. What does that mean? They think they're entitled to certain things because of their situation or their circumstance or because they're poor or because they're this. They think they're entitled to certain things just because of their, and they're not entitled to anything. They think they're entitled to the money that's in my pocket <laughs> through the taxes that I pay. 
We have an entitlement mentality, and that's what Naaman had. Why did he have that mentality? Because he was who he was. He was the head guy over all of them. He was the commanding general. He was the five-star over all the military. And he was somebody. He had a servant. And he probably lived in a big old house. And he probably had the nicest wagons or whatever they had in those days. And the nicest horses and the nicest chariots. I'm sure the king took care of him. But he had this little problem. And Naaman thought, because I am who I am, and I've got this letter, and i got all this stuff, I'm just going to pull up in the prophet's driveway, and I'm just going to say, hey, come out and heal me. And he's just going to run out here and, and just fall all over himself to do it. He was so self-important about his title and his position and He had this attitude of self-importance. I'm somebody important. That's exactly where his faith was. In his self-importance. He had faith in the things of this world. He had faith in himself. Faith in men. He had no clue. No idea what was going on. And he had no idea. No clue who he was dealing with. But God was fixing to show him. So, you know, it's amazing how God has a way of humbling us when we don't want to humble ourselves. He has a very, very unique way in each one of our lives of humbling us, and he'll do it in such a subtle way, and we'll be like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening to me. Because that's kind of what Naaman said when not only did the prophet not come out, but he sent out his servant. Uh, hey, dude, get off the grass. You're, the prophet said to send me out here to tell you to go dip in the, seven, in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. Boom. Walks back in. And Naaman's just standing there speechless. He can't believe this. Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he realize who's standing here in his driveway? Doesn't he know that I'm Naaman, doesn't, doesn't, did anybody tell him? I mean, the king knew because Naaman, t- the prophet told the king, send him to see me. But God has a way of humbling us when we're so prideful and arrogant and, and we think we're somebody. And so Naaman, what does he do? He acts like a little kid. Stomps off, dragging his wagons behind him. I can't believe he took... Why, well, there's cleaner rivers than any than that all over. And why can't he send me to one of those nice rivers? Why does he got to send me to that old nasty Jordan River down there? Why? He just whining and complaining and moaning the blues. And here he is, the general, the commanding general, and his servants that are with him are going, um, dude, maybe if he told you to do some great thing, You'd have done it, but he he just told you to go dip in that river seven times. What's it going to hurt if you do it? So Naaman says, okay, fine, fine. Are we like that with God sometimes? Fine, God, fine. If that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And so what does he do? He goes down there and dips in the river seven times, and what happens? He flesh became like a baby. Amazing. Amazing. All because 
a little girl who trusted God, who was a maid to his wife, who could have just sat back and said nothing, who could have just sat back and said, woe is me, I'm in bondage, I'm in exile, I'm just going to sit here and stew in my own mess, and I'm just going to sit over here and cry and moan and just pray that God will deliver me, thinking only of herself. She didn't do that. She made the best of her situation, and she said, God has me here for a reason, and maybe this is it. And that you don't hear anything else about that little girl except for right here where she is in the right place at the right time because God has a reason. Because you never know why God has you where he has you. Amen? And so Naaman was healed. And the Bible tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, doesn't it? Amen? In Romans 12, chapter 1. We're going to go through verse 3. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, this is Paul talking to the church at Rome, that by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your whole being, a living sacrifice, holy, which is set apart and consecrated, acceptable or pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing or the renovation. Anybody ever done any renovation? Anybody ever restored a a vehicle or renovated a house? The renovation of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By your willingness to submit to God's will. That you can prove by submitting to God's way and not your way. That you can prove what it's that perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, that every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, or not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance, is what that means. We've got to be careful that we don't get an exaggerated opinion of our own importance. Yes, God elevates us. Yes, God raises up one and brings down another. But we're not supposed to get lifted up in that. Because he can take one down and bring up another. Amen. He's just, he's given us the responsibility of a position of authority. He's given us the responsibility of being a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, or whatever, a janitor, whatever it is. He's just given us that responsibility. And we're supposed to do it with a right attitude and a right spirit and not get all self-important in ourselves. He says, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, or what that means is to rate your own ability with sober judgment according to the degree of faith that God has given you. We need to have a right attitude about who we are in God and where we are in God and not allow ourselves like Naaman to get lifted up in who we are. Because... John 15 and 5 says, without me, you can do nothing. We can't do anything without him. We need him in order to even do what it is he's called us to do. He's the one that empowers us. He's the one that calls a man to to the ministry. He's the one that puts the anointing and the unction on that man to preach. He's the one that gives you that. He's the one that fills us with the Holy Ghost. We cannot save ourselves. We can't fill ourselves or anybody else with the Holy Ghost. It's got to come from Him. And how do we receive the Holy Ghost? We humble ourselves. 
Acknowledge him. The same, in this same vein, I guess you could say, the same was true in the case of Joseph, who spent, who's, who's raised in a good family, raised in, raised right, had a good education, had good brothers, and they, they knew how to work hard. They had a good work ethic, and all things were going right for him. And he was having these dreams and visions and as a young kid and didn't understand them. And then one day his brothers send him in, throw him in a pit, and then they sell him to some slave sellers, and then he ends up in Egypt as a slave to Potiphar. And all he's going through all this, and you can imagine what he's thinking. Oh, my gosh, what did I do to deserve this? Anybody ever felt that way? Why do you have me here, God? This is not what I signed up for. <laughs> right? Nobody's ever felt that way. Why is all this hell breaking loose in my life? And then, on top of all that, he's doing everything right, and and Potiphar makes, puts him over all of his finances and everything. And then his wife tries to seduce him while his, her husband's gone. And he gets accused of rape and gets put in jail or prison for up to 12 years. For something he didn't, for a crime he didn't commit. Imagine that. Being, going to jail for a crime he didn't commit. Amen. God was working on his attitude. He was there for a reason. God has a reason for having us where we are in him at this particular time. A lot of times that reason is, in Joseph's case, it was to get some bitterness and some anger and some things out of Joseph because little did Joseph know he was getting ready to get promoted. To second in command over all of Egypt. He was going to have control over every grain of food that every person had to eat. And he little did he know that his 12 brothers were going to be standing in front of him fulfilling those dreams that he had as a child. But God had to get his attitude and his mind right first. Because if they would have come before him when he had a, a nasty and a bitter attitude, he would have just probably smoked them right there in front of God and everybody. His brothers. But God was using him to deliver his whole family through this time of... Nobody knew this famine was coming, but God showed it to Joseph through the king. Ezekiel and Daniel operated and functioned in their calling and in their ministry while they were in bondage, while they were in exile. God sent, called them into the ministry during the time that Israel was in exile. Because Israel needed a, somebody to preach to them. Israel, the, the, Daniel worked in, in the upper, in the, in the government part of, of that, that time. And so God used Daniel at that level. And he used Ezekiel down here with the people of God to try to keep them encouraged, try to keep them understanding that God is in the midst of this. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't, don't just throw in the towel. Get your mind right. Get your attitude right. Get your walk right. Amen? Isn't that what preachers do today? Amen? We're, we as preachers of the gospel, not just necessarily licensed preachers, but we're to preach the gospel, aren't we? Amen? What's the gospel? The good news is that Jesus Christ loves you and he wants to save you. Amen? He wants us to go there, go there for and preach the gospel to every creature, making disciples of men. That's not just for the people that get behind this pulpit. That's everybody. 
Amen? Everybody say, I'm a preacher. Come on. You are. You are a preacher. Amen. Apostle Paul ministered in prison and in bondage. Can you imagine Paul? I mean, even when Ananias came to him when he was still blind, he said, I've got to come tell you about the things that you must suffer for the sake of the gospel. Now, how many of us would have said, oh, nope, nope, nope. If i got to suffer some stuff, I'm not doing it. I want this to be easy. I want this to be comfortable. I want, I want it to, everything to just go my way. No, that didn't scare Paul away. So here's Paul in prison, chained and bound, and he's having to dictate to somebody else his letters. He, even though he's bound in prison, he's still preaching. Even though he's bound in prison, he's still sending letters. He's still, it'd be like Brother Bernard being in prison as the general superintendent and still running the church from inside a prison. You know, they, that's what those guys that are in the mafia and stuff do. They still run the mafia from inside a prison, right? Because they got connections. So here's Paul in prison. He's still doing the work of God. He's not letting that stop him. Uh, all it's doing is just pressing him forward, pressing him forward. It's like, the, you know, the, the things that I'm going through and suffering are worthy, not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed in us. This is all part of the plan, Paul's telling himself, as he's dictating across the, the prison cell out, outside the, the bars to the guy that's sitting over there writing stuff down. Send this letter. He, he didn't get down on himself. He didn't, Paul didn't get all, important, all self-important either. He realized who he was and who it was that called him. He was just a servant. He was just a slave. He was just somebody that was a, a vessel that was being used by God. And even in the midst of his trials and his tests and all of his prison imprisonment and beatings and everything that he went through, he still continued to preach the gospel. Would we do the same? Uh, I don't know if you all heard about this guy named Art Wilson, but he pastors a church out of Flint, Michigan. And, uh, you know, God sent him there. And when God called him there, he said, oh, please, anywhere but Flint, Michigan. That's a bad place. God said, no, that's where I want you to go. And so then he's out driving around doing outreach, and, and God tells him to go pull over and talk to this guy who looks like a drug dealer and is one, and is a gang member, and he's like, um, somebody else besides that guy? God says, no, that one. And so he went over there and talked to the guy, and next thing you know, way down the road several years later, the guy's is top leader in his church. So anyway, this... I don't know if you've heard this, but Art Wilson has this lady come to his church that's, that's apostolic, and she's sick, and she needs healing. And so God uses that Brother Wilson's ministry in that church to bring a healing to this lady's life. Well, wouldn't you know it, lo and behold, just out of sheer coincidence, she works at the U.N. It's a crazy thing. Lives in Michigan, works at the U.N. in New York. Just, isn't that just, just coincidental? So coincidentally, she goes back to the U.N. and starts telling everybody that she can tell in the U.N. And we're talking about like high-ranking people in the U.N. from other countries about how God healed her. Because she was a foreign 
Indian or something like that, East Indian. So she's telling everybody about this. Tell me God doesn't know what he's doing. Tell me God doesn't have us planted. And thank God that Brother Wilson didn't just say, oh, I'm not going to Flint. But he went. Reluctantly, but he went. But God, so this lady's telling all these people this stuff. Next thing he knows, he's getting a phone call. We want you to come to the U.N. He goes to the U.N. with his wife. And they give him this little conference room about the size of this floor right here with a conference table in it and everything. And so he's thinking a handful of people are going to come in there. He's going to teach a little Bible study and that'll be it. So there's actually video of this and pictures of this. He's standing in the room and she shows up in the room and and people start coming in the door. Well, they keep coming. (laughs) They keep coming. They keep coming. There's 50 or 60 people in this room. Dignitaries and everybody's in this room. He's going, okay, God, I need you right now. So he just gets up there and just out under the anointing of the Holy Ghost just starts preaching and talking to these people. And before it's over with, people are getting healed. People are getting filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and just one thing leads to another. And I'll just fast forward. He, he's the pastor of the UN. They named him as their pastor of the UN and they've given him bigger and bigger and bigger rooms. And he actually got to stand in front of the UN security, the UN and speak. And so God's using that man that nobody's ever heard of named Art Wilson to bring this truth inside the UN. Why? Because this gospel's got to go to the whole world to every nation, people, kindred, and tongue. Guess what the UN represents? Every kingdom nation, right? So God used a little young lady with a sickness in her body to open that door for us to get our foot in the door. And, I mean, God's just continuing to this day to open even more doors and more doors. And he has met with high-ranking officials from Arab nations personally, privately, and talked to them about this truth. One one high-ranking Arab person has been healed of cancer, terminal cancer, that his daughter, went, who was in the U.N., went back to her country where she could be stoned and, and killed for converting, went back and prayed for her own dad in Jesus' name. And God healed him. So tell me God doesn't know what he's doing. Well, that could never happen out of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Really? Why not? Exactly. We never know what God's going to do. We just got to be busy about our Father's business and loving people and loving people and loving people and loving them to this truth. It wasn't the preaching that got me into this. It was the love that I felt from the people. It was the love. And we've got to love people. And he had to love that guy that was a drug dealer and a gang member. That's how that guy's his lead, his top leader in his church today because he loved him. Romans 8:28 says, "And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, not our purpose. For whom he did foreknow, Did he know us before we were born? He foreknew us. 
Before we were in the womb, he knew us. Right? That what the Bible says? Before we were formed in the womb, he knew us. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? In God's mind, he's already predestined. In God's mind, we already are formed into the image of his son. The key there is, is that he gave us a free will to choose. So as far as God's concerned, every single person, he sees everybody as saved, but he's leaving it up to you to decide if you're going to follow that destiny or not. And so we have chosen to follow that destiny. And there's going to be plenty more coming behind us. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them also he called. And whom he called, them also he justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So he has made us to partner with him. And I'm coming to a close. He has caused us to partner with him, and he's caused us, he's set us apart to fit into his plan. Amen? Because God has a reason why he's doing what he's doing. God has a reason why we're going through what we're going through, what we're suffering, what we're having to deal with. God has a reason for everything that he does. Amen? And we're going to blow our own minds if, we, if we're constantly trying to understand why. Because he's not going to let us understand why. We'll understand it better by and by as time goes on and we look back and see, okay, I see why God did what he did. I see why this happened and this happened and this happened because all of this had to happen in order for this to happen. Art Wilson had to be called into the ministry somewhere. Somebody had to bring Art Wilson into this truth, and, and then God had to call him, and then God had to, to bring him and nurture him up in the ministry, and then God had to call him to Flint, Michigan, and he had to submit to that. And then God had to, to build that church up, and then God specifically, precise moment of time, knew when to send that little lady that needed healing to his church because God was building up his faith. Because he had no clue that God was getting ready to use him to do what he's doing now. And he's still pastoring a church in Flint, Michigan. So he's spending all of his time traveling back and forth from Flint, Michigan to New York to do all this stuff. And then sooner or later, God's going to move, kind of pull him back and somebody else. He's going to elevate somebody else. And God is going to do this in this last day. And so we, we... should not be sitting on this pew thinking I'm just always going to be a saint and God's never going to use me for anything. God's got us in specifically in this building for a reason. He's got the Parkers here specifically. He's got us here specifically for a reason. Sister Linda, he's got you here specifically. Sister, Everybody in this room, I could name, I'm not going to name all the names. He's got us where we are for a reason. And you never know tomorrow what God's going to do next. So it behooves us today to be faithful to what God has chosen for our life and our path to be and to find that path and to get in it. Amen. Let's all stand. Amen. Amen. How many of you today want the will of God in your life? Really, really, really want God's will in your life? 
because you don't you might not realize what you're saying yes to <laughs> just letting you know you don't know what you're saying yes to it's like signing a contract but you don't get to read it right it's like signing a contract but you don't get to read it you have to trust god that everything in the contract is we just read it for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. How many of us believe in this room that we are the called according to His purpose? Amen. God has a purpose for us. We got to get in that thing. We got to, you know, once you sign a contract as a sports player, what do you got to do? You got to start playing. You got to start producing something. You got to start showing what you got. And those guys that do get those contracts and then they can't play, they can't, they get out there and they fumble over their own feet and they can't produce what they said they could produce, what the resume said they were, what happens to them? They're gone. Amen. I don't want God to do that. I want to be in His perfect will today. So it's not about our will. If we say that we want to serve God, if we say that we want to be according to His will, then it's not about our will. That means our will has to die. Right? Amen. We're going to sing this song. If you have feel like you want to come to this altar, I'm going to sing this song, or try to anyway. Amen. It just says, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. So this this is your altar call right here.